Hello, you're listening to Beacon Waves. My name is Danny Pearson, and today we're going to be exploring our dreams. Sigmund Freud, in an attempt to answer why we dream, proposed a theory that our dreams serve as fulfillment for our deepest wishes. His theory has very little scientific relevance and is mostly disregarded today. But we all have our own theories about why we dream. Today, scientists have two ideas about our dreams and why we have them. They may serve to help us process and retain information from the day before, or they're just a fun side effect of random brain activity intended to preserve and repair neural pathways. Either way, there seems to be a bit more to our dreams than what we can pick up with EEG machines. Have you ever had a lucid dream or a nightmare that wakes you up from your sleep? Is there a deeper meaning to reoccurring dreams or are they nothing more than coincidence? How do you dream? We asked a couple friends to talk to us about their most unique dream experiences. Through my uh, teenage years up until right before I came to uh, PBA, um, I was really wrestling a lot with myself. Mm-hmm. So I guess uh, subconsciously that would become um, the me that I would physically fight in my dreams. Uh, I also took a couple of years of, um, of mixed martial arts. So uh, that didn't help as well as uh, my dream self that I was fighting knew how to fight very well. Mm. Most times I'd win, sometimes the other would win. Um, but it was always like either every night or every other night. Um, so, What yeah. did the dreams look like visually? It was one of those things where um, you'd always be in a different place. Um, it's almost like uh, a cameo dream mm-hmm. where you're having a normal dream and then like you see uh, this one thing that you recognize. And in this case, it would be uh, myself, but like a darker version of myself. Mm-hmm. And immediately I would know that something was off because uh, this other me would start to like charge towards me. And then after that, everything is just off of the rules, I guess you can call it. Because like it's just that the whole spect of like uh this dream that was previously happening is no longer happening and now we're back to the i'm fighting myself dream um so yeah like it'll just be like where you recognize a face and then you're just like hey i know that person but in this case it's like i see myself and i think that oh i guess it's time that we're doing this again (laughs) Dreams are very authentic. If you really want to know yourself, the best way to really know yourself is to get to know your dreams. So when I was a kid, I had this one reoccurring dream, like right when I would fall asleep. So I was like almost in that in between, but like it like you could like still feel things. So I was like right when I would fall asleep, I would have a dream of this woman in this dark hallway. Um, and she would wear, like, a very, like, severe-looking dress, like, kind of stiff and, like, school teachery. Um, she had, like, dark hair, um, and it was just, like, very, like, severe and, like, proper. And she would be by, like, a chalkboard. So I'd be in this long hallway with, like, sun coming through the windows. Um, and I would, like, look at her face, and she would open her mouth and, like, create this deep, deep tone. Like, so deep that I could, like, feel it in my bones, and, like, I, like... It was like so unearthly how deep it was that 
it was just like I could feel it and then she would transition between like that deep deep tone to like scratch your nails on a chalkboard and it would be like so unearthly high that like the same like sensation but like on both extremes and she would like transition between the deep and the high tones does the dream was it scary for you or is it something that you like were kind of neutral towards did you enjoy the dream I think I I think I enjoyed the dream. I don't know. When I've, like, explained it, like, recently, like, especially, I'm like, wait, that's, like, terrifying. Like, it sounds very creepy, but, like, I remember it always being, like, neutral. Yeah, like, almost, like, not even pleasant, but just neutral, and it was just, like, the sensation was so, like, unearthly is, like, the only way I can express it. We interviewed two very important members of the International Association for the Study of Dreams. Yes, there is an international association with over 600 curious members all studying dreams in depth. I work with artists who want to get in touch with their dreams, and I work with dreamers who want to develop their, their art. Dr. Angel Morgan, the president of the association, has been dream working herself since she was just four years old. Nightmares really fascinate me because there seems to be a very, like, drastic difference between just a typical dream where you wake up and you're like, wow, I had a dream that a centaur, like, flew off a cliff and he had a burger in its mouth. And you're like, well, that's so weird. And then there are <laughs> nightmares that, you know, I, I have a history of really, really vivid and disturbing nightmares that I wake up and can write pages about them. And so I... Oh, I was good just that you're writing them down, I mean. <laughs> oh good. <laughs> yeah. And that's always really kinda helped me process that. But um yeah. yeah, so with with Dream Bridge that you say it's it's bridging the gap between dreams and a person's um kind of creative side or the art that they're working on. Do you work with um all types of art, visual? Um yeah. okay. All fields, all fields, all domains. I, I work with artists who want to get in touch with their dreams, and I work with dreamers who want to develop their their art or get in touch with their creativity. I want to go back to one thing you said just about the nightmares, um, mm-hmm. just because this is something that at the IASC people talk, you know, are very kind of, we take it for granted almost, but most people aren't aware that nightmares are often considered by, by dream researchers and not all dream researchers, but a lot of a lot of um, people at the IASD would say that nightmares are positive, and nightmares are actually some of the best kind of dreams you can have. Really? And the reason, yeah, yeah. I mean, some researchers will say, you know, and some people are in another camp where they'll say, no, this is, <laughs> you know, <laughs> this is a problem, and that's what you hear in the mainstream. But a lot of dream workers will say that nightmares are a positive because they they wake you up, they get your attention. You know, you notice when you have those really pleasant dreams, you don't always remember them. You know, or or just kind of middle of the road dreams. But a nightmare wakes you up. That's part of the definition of a nightmare. Right. It wake it wakes you up. It gets your attention, and it puts whatever issue it is that is on your mind or that is being buried it puts it right in your face and says look at me I need attention pay attention to me I'm important and and that way um it's a it's a gift Hmm. it's an opportunity for the dreamer to get to know themselves better to transform 
negatives into positives, you know, to do maybe a little dialoguing or whatever type of dream work that uh, the dreamer wants to do with it. Mm-hmm. So in that sense, nightmares really are, um, you know, they, they, I see them as kind of like a gift that is not recognized most of the time as a gift. And that's why we feel so afraid of them. So one of the things I do is, you know, in dream education is work with people on getting to know, you know, what to do when you have a nightmare and how can you work with it and transform what's going on with understanding and consciousness. Hmm. So anyway, just wanted to, I didn't want to let that one sneak by. (laughs) Yeah, no, um, on that subject though, I, um, you know, we, like, a friend of mine once gave me a book that was, like, just kind of one of those rinky-dink, like, what what your dreams mean, and it had all of these very, like, um, structured, almost like an answer key, like, oh, if you dream of an alligator, yeah. it means this. If you dream yeah. of water, it means this. Is that pretty typical for everybody across the board, or? Um... No, okay. Great <laughs> yeah. question, Sarah. Such a great question. You know what, uh, that is, again, we're talking about mainstream publishing, mm-hmm. and it, it, it has been the trend for a few decades, you know, for people to just go to a dream dictionary. Right. Or a book, you know, what do my dreams mean? Oh, okay, I'm going to look it up. And the fact is that dream dictionaries are generally frowned upon in the ISD, but I will say that many people will acknowledge that they're okay to use as a tool mm-hmm. like but but people who do recommend them say look at several of them you know get several sources don't even look at dream dictionaries look at books of symbols mm-hmm. you know archetypes and symbols and, and maybe about um, animals you know um, animal medicine Native American perspectives or look at look in several sources and then figure out what resonates for you mm-hmm. Because it's there's no one size fits all mm-hmm. interpretation for dreams or for dream symbols, because each and every one of us has a unique association or a unique life life story, and so somebody dreams about, um, you know, if one person the common dream you hear about a lot is teeth falling out. Okay, mm. so one person will say, well, or one dream book will say. If, you, if your teeth are falling out, you're feeling insecure or something. Hmm. Okay. And someone else, another book will say, if your teeth are falling out, it means, you know, you're, you're feeling unprepared for something. Someone else will say, maybe you need to go to the dentist. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so each person is going to have their own reason for why they're, they're um, dreaming of a certain thing. Hmm. And, and a certain animal will mean one thing to one person and something else to another person. So, yeah, I think that finding uh, some of the best dream books will talk about finding methods to, to work with your dreams and to um, explore what the symbols mean for you rather than telling you straight out um, an apple means this or, mm-hmm. you know, a house means this. I will say, though, that there are some interesting offerings out there, and you can find um, 
the best types of offerings like that will give three or four possible definitions for symbols or for um, what dreams could mean. Hmm. Yeah, and that gives you food for thought. You could say, well, try it on like clothing, you know? Does yeah. this fit me? No. Okay. Well, maybe this one does. Hmm. Um, but a, a lot of times it does help to, to talk with someone who has some experience working with dreams and they can help you uh, using games or tools or fun ways of working with dreams to figure out what it means hmm. for you. So how um, do you, with DreamBridge, it helps you unlock a creative side of you or it helps you turn your creative side toward your dreams. Um, what does that look like? Right. So it depends on... So with dream consultations, that's one of the things I do mm-hmm. with DreamBridge. So that's more of a one-on-one. Um, and then I do courses and workshops and things like that. And pe- and so there are, there are different ways that I teach uh, dream work that will tease, tease out whatever it is that, that is wanted from mm-hmm. that particular group or person. So for example, if someone's an artist and they want to get in touch with their their dreams to help inspire their art and they might share share a dream with me in a, in a consultation session and um you know and through through that process they will get in touch with it some of it is a little magical i have to admit sarah <laughs> you know, there's there's years of experience behind this um i've actually been dream working um since i was four years old oh wow so this is a life lifelong journey for me and i've had several mentors um, along the way, in addition to the degrees and and such, so everything that I do in a consultation is going to be drawing upon one of several different methods, depending on what that person um, needs. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if somebody is not an artist and say and, and they're having dreams but they want they really want to paint <laughs> but they can't figure out what they want to paint you know mm-hmm. and then they'll share a dream with me and then a lot of times uh, that's what the dream bridging process is is after doing the dream work then there's a conversation about okay well let's talk about how you express your creativity mm-hmm. do you write do you dance do you sing do you um, paint do you, are you an actor? You want to do a monologue? You know, whatever it is, however, or do you cook? <laughs> People have different ways of expressing their creativity. And then I help them uh, work on a plan to bridge their dream work into a creative project. And then the, the fun part is when the creative projects are ready to share with the rest of the community and people come together and, and enjoy that. Wow, that's really special. I feel it is, and it's something very rare in this world. Um, you you said that you have been dream working since you were four. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me a little bit about that. Well, my father uh, was a psychologist when I was four as well. Oh wow. <laughs> I come from a family of psychologists and <laughs> um, an artist. So, so uh, yeah, I actually was having nightmares when mm-hmm. I was four. And my father uh, was studying the work of Kilton Stewart, um, who was um, 
somebody who had lived with the Sonoy Temiar tribe in Malaya, which is now Malaysia, in the 1930s. And he had written about uh, the Sonoy dream people in, in the 30s, 40s, 50s, and then in the 60s, it really kind of became a, a thing in the world of psychology for people who were interested in dreams. And so my father um, had, had been prepared to help me with my nightmares mm-hmm. uh, because he had been studying the work of Kilton Stewart. And, um, and so the dialogue uh, between my father and myself started then about what, what dreams are, what I can do uh, when I have a nightmare. And, and here's a really funny story. He, uh, one of the things that he said to me is that um, in your dream, <clears throat> when, when you have a nightmare like this, just imagine a friendly giant is going to be there to help you. And because Dream Allies is one of the teachings from, from Kilton Stewart. So he said, do you know how to whistle? And I said, yes, I know how to whistle. And I whistled for him to prove it. And he said, okay, well, I'm going to go to bed now and you go back to sleep. And if you need, you know, if you have another nightmare, just whistle for the friendly giant and he will come and help you in your dream, right? Is, is what he meant. Mm-hmm. So I go back to sleep. And the nightmare comes back, and I wake up, and I'm sitting in my bed, whistling and whistling and whistling. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, I march over to my dad, you know, my parents' room, and I shake my dad, and I say, Dad, I whistled and I whistled, and you never came. (laughs) 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 Because my four-year-old mind thought, my dad is the friendliest giant (laughs) that I knew. So... It was, it was, you know, kind of a, a, a tender moment there, but that was an opportunity for him to explain to me that, no, no, this is, <laughs> I meant in your dream, mm-hmm. you can, you can, so he taught me about dream allies and he taught me about different things that I can do and, and, uh, um, so that's how it started. He was my first dream guide, my father. Mm. And did you study the, um theories and practices of the same tribe. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And in fact, here's an interesting kind of circle of events. Uh, when I was um, when I was an undergrad at UCLA, mm-hmm. um, I met the widow of Kilton Stewart. Wow. And she was leading dream groups in L.A., in Brentwood. So I joined that dream group. And I studied with her for five years. So she was one of my, she was an extremely important and valuable mentor for me in dream work. And um, yeah, so that was a very interesting, what Carl Jung would call synchronicity. Wow. But um, she was very, very excited about meeting me too because of my story and how I had started working with her
evolved over the years since Clara's passing and me, you know, after she passed away in 1995, that's when I started facilitating my own dream groups. And, uh, and so the story in Dreamer's Powerful Tiger, which is going to be an audio book, actually, uh, later this month, it, it'll be on, um, available mm-hmm. on Audible. And uh, this book is, is definitely a, a story that was inspired by the Sonoy Temyar tribe. I also had the opportunity to speak with Bob Haas, who runs the international conferences for the IASD and is the chairman of the Research Grant Committee. He also manages an organization called the Dream Science Foundation. I asked him questions about nightmares, dream science, and hot topics in dream research. What's, uh, what's happening right now is because we have the ability and have had for maybe a decade or so now, the ability to do some deep brain uh, scans or imaging. And so we can understand better what's going on in the brain uh, during sleep. And that's helped us to answer a lot of questions about sleep and dreaming uh, that helps to align what's going on in the brain and the neuroscience with the psychology. We're finding out that there is some support between the two. Whereas there have been arguments between the two over uh, you know, quite a long time. Uh, but one of the areas is probably the hottest topic, and I maybe get the most press, uh, is lucid dreaming. Mm-hmm. And lucid dreaming is where you, you're dreaming along and all of a sudden you realize you're dreaming. I don't know if you've ever had that experience or not. Mm-hmm. But uh, most people, when that happens, they'll, oh, I'm dreaming, I can fly, and we'll fly around the dream and have fun. But there's a whole uh, deeper layer of consciousness uh, that one can explore in, in lucid dreaming as well. Hmm. Uh, so in, in essence, it's an exploration of the nature of our of consciousness. Um, and uh, a lot of the experiments have gone on. Real, and the, fir- the first experiments really were to prove that indeed we are conscious in the dream when we're lucid dreaming. We're just not having a big, vivid dream. Hmm. And the way that works is... Uh, in the laboratory, when someone has a lucid dream, they'll usually pick a subject that, that frequently dreams that way. Uh, when, when the subject has a lucid dream, they signal the researcher by moving their eyes back and forth with a signal or clenching their fist with a signal. So that, you know, they know that they're communicating consciously with the dreamer and the dreamer is truly conscious. So that was a, that was a, the basic levels of research and we've supported some of that research as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but more and more, um, the research is focusing on the characters in the dream and the whole idea that, uh, you know, when you see a character in your lucid dream, walk up to him and ask him a question, you know, Where'd you come from? Who are you? What are you? What, et cetera. Most of the time, there's some aspect of your own personality. Um, but uh, they have interesting capabilities. Uh, for example, some of the research testing has shown that if you ask them an a-, a mathematics question, uh, they can answer that. They're not great at math, uh, but uh, sometimes they'll even answer, uh, give the right answer when the dreamer themselves had the wrong answer. So, uh, you know, they have cognitive capabilities. Um, also, uh, they seem to be uh, quite clever 
uh, they can uh, uh, you know, do, do, do some pretty interesting clever things in response. For instance, one, one of the researchers asked one uh, uh, of the characters in the dreams, do you have consciousness? And the dream character says, yes, I have consciousness, but I'm not sure that you do based on the stupid questions you're asking me. <laughs> so they will come back with these interesting little quips. Uh, and uh, then I, it, kind of a, a third area is that uh, they share our, um, they seem to share our memory system. And uh, which makes sense because if, if, if there are aspects of ourselves that they would have access to the same systems we do. Um, but in one case, this was one that I uh, had. Um, I had um, uh, I went into the dream and I realized that uh, there is a greater consciousness behind the dream. Uh, it's called the collective unconscious. And so I, I turned around to the dream and I asked the dream, show me something I need to know. And it sparkled into a where I was teaching class to a bunch of lucid dreamers uh, on uh, on what it's like to be dreaming. Wow! Uh, and you know, I was the professor. They were in the all the there about twenty students in the class, and we were chatting about what it's like to be in a dream, what's like to be a character, etc. All of a sudden, this woman raised her hand. She said, "Hey, wait a minute! If I'm a dream character." And how can I remember a whole life before this time? I have, I have a husband. And so I turned around to the rest of the class. I said, that's an interesting question. How many of the rest of you could remember a life before this time? And six of them immediately raised their hands. What? And gradually the whole class started to raise their hands. So, you know, they have this level of consciousness that sort of shares our, you know, our brain system. And, you know, it, um, most research leads to understanding that they're aspects of our personality which is an old psychological principle anyway mm -hmm. you know yourselves in dreams and things of that sort so mm -hmm. uh you know it's, it's all the research in it as to what those characters are but you know that's just yeah. just some of the things that have been found out a lot of the research we've supported has been gone has gone into how do you uh, initiate a lucid dream how do you um incubate one because we're trying to do this in sleep labs and so the whole idea is to try to figure out methods that work better to get people to dream mm -hmm. you know all kinds of little practices so that's uh that's probably one of the most interesting areas of, of dream research now just because it's uh magical mm -hmm. <laughs> you know and, uh, and also you know it, on the neuroscience aspect of lucid dreaming, it um, what they found is it, it it's a pretty natural phenomenon. It uh, a part of the brain that's normally asleep when you're asleep, the frontal part uh, when you're dreaming. When you're dreaming, uh, a great deal of your brain is active, mm -hmm. but frontal cortex is relatively inactive. And in lucid dreaming, a part of the frontal cortex begins to activate and light up, so that you have that sense that you are indeed conscious. So that lucid dreaming is all about, wow. and in a nutshell. <laughs> That's insane. So is psychology beginning to connect lucid dreaming with like treatments and therapies that they use on people who are just trying to learn more about themselves? Or where, where lucid dreaming really is being now used um, in psychotherapy 
is with nightmares, particularly PTSD type nightmares. And that's another area of research that we're um, increasing our support for. with the PTSD, with PTSD, quite often people have um, repetitive nightmares. And for those who don't know what PTSD is, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder, which is caused by huge trauma, like war veterans have and things, things of that sort. So it's gotten some press lately. But uh, quite often they'll they'll have nightmares that are flashbacks to their trauma whether it be a war trauma, but he killed in their arms, or whether it be a, a hurricane that destroyed their home and family, things of that sort. Uh, they'll constantly get flashbacks as our dreaming mind tries to sort out that trauma, but can't. Um, so one of the therapies is if a person with PTSD or even just post-traumatic nightmares, maybe not a clinical condition, but just bad nightmares, um, uh, can be taught or trained to do to lucidly dream through some of these induction techniques. Then, when they're in that dream and uh, and realize that it's just a dream, they can turn around and face the fear, or they can turn around and uh, change something in the dream, change the, the the way the dream is going. And quite often, when that occurs. Uh, they no longer um, have that repetitive dream. They start uh, with what's called mastery, mastery, mastering the dream and taking charge in the dream. And what that actually does is it kind of works from the inside out. Rather than trying to deal cognitively with the trauma by talking about it, uh, it works by changing the response to the trauma in the brain itself. And so it's a very effective approach um, to working with nightmares. Is this recent that psychotherapy has kind of started working with dreams? Is that kind of a more recent practice? Well, psychotherapy has has been working with dreams longer than uh, uh, neuroscience has. Let's okay. put it that way. Uh, but it but it's been fragmented. Okay. Uh, and it's been fragmented because uh, you know many psychotherapists uh, in their training. Um, uh, dreams have been left out of, of some of the, the psychological training in universities and whatnot for, for a long, long time because people just didn't really understand them enough to you know, train psychotherapists on what they're all about. Mm-hmm. And what's happening now with all the neuroscience that's showing that dreams really do have a heavy relationship to our emotional daily lives, um, uh, it's becoming more accepted. Mm-hmm. Um, and dream work uh, techniques are becoming a little better refined and more clinical in nature. Um, dreams have been sort of thrown into a category of mythological, you know, here's what your dream means if you dream about yeah. <laughs> this and that, which is really not, that, that's done a disservice to dream work. Dream work is really dream work. It means working with people to help them understand their own dreams. It's not dream analysis. <clears throat> no um, a really good professional dream worker or psychologist would try to an- sit back and analyze somebody's dream. Mm-hmm. It's because the stuff you see in dreams is really your own associations. Are you able, if somebody falls asleep, is there some sort of scientific reason why someone would dream of a nightmare instead of just 
like just the random kind of thoughts that hit our brain as yeah. we're sleeping? Yeah, Nor- normative, they call them normative dreams, or normal dreams and uh, common dreams. Uh, they have a function that, that, that they're trying to resolve usually daily emotional um, situations. Mm-hmm. Something happens to you during the day, the dream will filter out the emotional impact of that event and compare it to events in the past that had the same emotional impact try to find a solution they'll actually uh, test solutions uh, the dream will come in with a new solution and test it out um, and if uh, if it works out fine in the dream you'll have a nice pleasant ending uh, if it doesn't work out the dream will kind of trail off and try another solution later so that's the normal process of dreaming it's called uh, you know emotional processing um, our emotional learning, uh, adaptive learning, these number of terms, give it to it. Uh, in a nightmare, uh, this is typically when the emotional impact on you is so severe um, and so novel, and that, that is, it's, it goes against what you expect life to be, mm-hmm. okay? For example, if one of your best friends who you've know, been with all your life and just really love comes up and tells you something that they think you're just a horrible person, you know, it's like a huge surprise, intense emotional impact. How do I sort that out? That will typically create a nightmare because the emotional impact is so great that it overrides some of this capability for the dream to just dampen the emotion and process it uh, normally. Um, and uh, one of the big differences between just bad dreams and nightmares is the nightmare will usually be so intense that it will wake you up called the emotional surge will wake you up mm-hmm. uh, and you'll, you'll kind of shaking or something like that and that's that's because the what happened to you emotionally it could be a trauma like PTSD mm-hmm. is so great uh, that this normal dreaming mechanism uh, a problem resolution and uh, emotional problem resolution and dampening um, have been overwhelmed mm-hmm. um, by trauma Thanks for listening to Beacon Waves. We're a student-run podcast based out of our student-run online newspaper, thebeacontoday.com.